0: Hi, everyone. This is Reed. Nathan and I thought that it would be appropriate before we begin this week's episode to issue a brief word of caution. Now, we still have all of the usual preliminary elements that you've come to expect and hopefully love, such as what we've been watching, reading, and listening to, as well as a brief discussion about the wonderful and powerful episode 5 of The Haunting of Hill House called The Bent Neck Lady. But... Following those, the film that we're covering this week, which is a Netflix original called Cam, does contain content of a sensitive, mature, and specifically sexual nature as it deals directly with the online adult entertainment industry. While we approach the subject matter as honestly and sensitively as we can, we thought that discretion should be advised. As always, we hope this finds you well, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for listening.
1: The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No, be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone?
0: You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God.
2: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fear of God podcast. Here we find the holy in the horrific, at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. We are glad you are here. Uh, Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is fellow host Reed Lackey, but he said something about having to break one of his rules. So I don't really know what that portends, although it does have a bit of an ominous air to it. Um, but you know, I trust Reed. Um, I, I, he, he is an Enneagram nine. They do tend to follow most of the rules. So it it is probably a big deal that he's breaking the rules, but we'll, we'll get the, we'll get the scoop from him when he gets back. Uh, in the meantime, while he's gone, um, I would encourage you guys, if you have not yet, you guys and gals to go to iTunes leave us a rating, leave us a review, preferably of the five star and or positive variety. Um, if you write one, as you may have noticed, if you've begun following us on Instagram, uh, hello to those of you who may be new to Fear of God, uh, as part of Fear of God 2.0 this year. We will post those. You know, we are, we are doing a lot of posting over on Instagram, but specifically have been posting some of these reviews. We really appreciate the kind, generous words you guys throw our direction. Um, it really does mean a lot to us. Um, would really appreciate if you have not done that yet, your willingness to go and do that so we can recognize you. And hey, who knows? Maybe you'll leave a negative review, and we'll post that too. Because uh, you know, hey, we're we're just—it's equal opportunity here. Um, Reed, Reed, you're hi, you're back, buddy. You're back. You do you doing yes. okay? It was a little—it was a little weird to me. you were talking about breaking some rules. That's not really uh, like you.
0: No, here's the here's the problem. The rule that I broke was we were staying at this friend's house, uh-uh. and I went raiding in their fridge. Uh huh. And Nathan. Yeah. I found some fried chicken
2: yeah you found some fried chicken don't warm it up though
0: no 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 I didn't but I did eat it after midnight and I feel so bad about it yeah I broke that one is, of the rules I broke one of my rules that I is fried chicken after after midnight
2: that is definitely <laughs> a a rule in a horror film it's, it is it it's, is it's true it's, it's not it, it's, it is it's none of the rules in this horror film but it is a rule in a horror that's, film
0: that's true well I wasn't gonna break any of the rules in this <laughs> horror film to be quite honest with you <laughs> Well, welcome, welcome,
2: welcome to you, my friend. I, I'm I'm glad to <laughs> thank you. I'm glad to see the effects of your post midnight cravings have worn off. Um, yes. See, I didn't know. Yes. If, I didn't know if you were making a bird box reference there for a minute. I didn't know what. It took me a second to calibrate to the frequency. But
0: it's know. an equal opportunity joke. Yeah, you know. yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. got all kinds of layers. Multi, to it, multi, you
2: know. multi level. Um, <laughs> Reed, we are in the. I was about to say we're in the middle. We're actually kind of cresting the hill towards. Towards yeah. the the, the decrescendo, if you will. That's a that's a music term, Reed. It's true. Um,
0: I, I'm not a musician, but um, I've heard it before.
2: Uh, you, you've you got a little bit of musicality in your blood. I play a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, you, I
0: play a little bit. You da- you dabble. Mostly when I eat after midnight. Right,
2: you dabble. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we're in the middle of Netflix and chills. Um, we've had a really good time. We had a really great time last week on Bird Box. We hope everyone enjoyed that and that we did not insult anyone by having a bit of fun. with the bird box i did get slightly concerned i was like man we are going to obnoxious town for real
0: on the bird box (laughs) you know we just
2: we just we aimed that that little rowboat and we just went direct for obnoxious town
0: uh no it's true it's true unless i mean we we closed the loop on this pretty definitively in the episode like bird box is is entertaining it it has its flaws and we make light of them and have fun with them but bird box is entertaining and and uh, so yeah, go listen to that episode it is uh I consider it to be a lot of fun. it is a lo- lot of fun recording it <laughs> it is a lot of fun i
2: it's hard to say how much fun we' we'll be had on this episode, given this movie, but we are going to we are going to do our best to um yes, you know to 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 have a a robust conversation. I do anticipate yes. that that will likely yes. happen
0: um before I think so as well,
2: but before we get too far down the river, my friend um i do i just i you know, it's been a week, really, since we've had a conversation of this nature. Um, really? And yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole week. A whole week. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, there is something that's just been kind of burning on my mind, Reed. That I just, I just got to know. What? Well, what is it? Well, well, my friend, I'm just curious to hear from you. Just like if you had to. Um, Assess your current intake of these things. I would just be curious to know what you're watching, <laughs> what you're reading, what
0: you're listening to. Reads. What are you watching? I don't know what. I I don't know if you've ever asked me that before. No, That's, I feel very honored it's, that you that you, you would ask me honored. such a question. Well, I feel like yeah. it's,
2: I feel like it's just a good question. I'm trying to get better in my middle years at asking good questions you know sure
0: sure i understand well okay so uh, listeners who have listened to last week's uh episode on bird box um you'll know that uh sort of in the prep for that we were uh kind of banding about the uh this this impromptu race that you and i had to the finish line on watching to the blind camp yeah to the blind blind camp. camp first right (laughs) we were trying to see um, who could finish watching the top 10 listener voted horror films of 2018 first uh, because I had seen Mandy and Revenge at that time you had not seen them but you still saw a little bit more than me and I remember distinctly a moment a moment when I woke (laughs) up I woke up like you're three hours ahead of me, uh-huh. so time for you is, you know, you usually have a head start, just as life goes in the day. And I woke up, and, you know, as part of my morning routine, one of the things I will quickly do is just check some brief Facebook notifications. Well, as fortune <laughs> would would happen, when you pull up Facebook for the very first time, then, you know, your, your most common friend feeds are like right there. Recent things that they've posted are right there. And then sit right there. As soon as I pulled up the app... <laughs> It said, it said, you know, I forget what number film, you know, you know, seventh or, you know, 49th or whatever it is, number of film of 2019. And it said The Meg. From me. From me. Is that what you're saying? From you. Yes. From you. And it said that Nathan Rouse was watching The Meg. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, that son of a... (laughs) 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 I I was like, there's only one reason on the planet why that fool would be watching the Meg and that is because he's trying to watch all 10 of the listener voted horror films of 2018 before I do and I, I think all I said on it was just like wow with a gif of Medea shaking her head or yeah something. yeah yeah. Like, yeah and I was like, wow, okay, so this really is very important to you. So I just want to put yeah, it on now, record here, everybody, what's... that Nathan Rouse won the race <laughs> to watch Woo! all of them. I did it! He He won. He watched all 10 of the 2018 listener-voted horror films of 2018. Ahead of he you. Vo- he watched them. Before you. Before I did. Frank
2: and Nathan he... lives up to his name. <laughs> my, my, my two-year-old, one of her favorite phrases these days, she'll go, I did it. So that's nice. That's how I feel right now is I, I did it. Oh, I did it. So that's what's funny cute. about that though, is you actually ascribed a level of, I don't know, live chainsaw to me that, that is actually not <laughs> inherent to that experience. What's that? It is really funny though, that that was the interpretation. Cause it's not, I mean, in your defense, it's not like an unfair interpretation. It, it is something I would be, that that is something I would do. But what's, kind of fun about that is so yes it does make me smile to think about the Mm. fact that you wake up in the morning and you're just like (laughs) having been editing bird box which has this really great back and forth about my experience watching the meg previous to actually watching the meg and then you wake up the next morning and i have watched the meg so (laughs) lately i've actually been getting up kind of early I had this weird experience. You didn't ask for this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. And, and, but just, but just you. Okay. So (laughs) about a month ago, well, about let's back up a little further. About two years ago, I started exercising early in the morning. Okay. So that is relative. That routine is relatively set, but I've been kind of negligent on it at the top of the year so far. But uh, on top of that, about a month ago, month to six weeks ago, on like a Saturday or Sunday, I slept pretty late for, An adult with kids you know like it was Mm. it wasn't like late for like a college student but it was late for me and sure and i had such this is going to sound so weird but i got out of bed the day had begun for my entire family and it's like you just you just enter this day that's already in motion and 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 had begun a couple hours previous or whatever and i just had this like real negative association with that experience it it wasn't fun i was like Mm in hindsight that day, I was like, I I don't know that I liked the idea of sleep is nice, but Mm. the experience of not having a moment before the day was really, was really kind of proved itself more of a turnoff than I expected. So some, something I've begun doing is even on mornings when, when I don't get up to exercise, I will still try to get up pretty early to just kind of have a little just you know, whether it's reading a book, uh, in this case it was watching a movie, just some time before everyone else, before the day has begun, because I, I do my my work is one of these that where it's hard to just turn it off. so yeah. it's hard to carve out real dedicated time that isn't your brain isn't occupied with pressing things. so anyway the the fun of it was one morning I was just like, you know what? I'm trying to because I was trying to knock out a bunch of films before the Oscars. And then before this recording right now, I was trying to, yes, finish the top 10 of 2018 horror movies that we had, you know, offered a couple of weeks ago. And so I was consuming a, a several movies over the course of a week, uh, more than my usual intake. And I was like, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to turn on the Meg. So at like, <laughs> at like 5.45 AM, I'm like, I'm just going to rent the Meg. I'm going to turn it on. And so I'm just laying there on the couch with my iPad and watching the Meg and, you know, um, my wife comes down. She's like, you thought that was a stupid movie. Why are you watching? And I'm like, it is stupid, but I got to win. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's that, that that's actually,
0: exactly the extreme. That actually that did not happen.
2: C- yes. 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 <laughs> but, um, but no. So I watched the Meg super early in the morning. It really was, it was, it was to be conscientious of the top 10. It was not to beat Reed. That was just Mm. a happy byproduct of the ultimate experience. So it does make me smile and warms my heart a little (laughs) bit to know that you got up and thought, that stinker.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, in the spirit of that, go ahead. Yeah. So, no, that's a – so why don't we we take – I know we've already announced the top ten. But now, because uh, last time we announced it, we had spent, at least myself, had not seen like half the list. There were three or four that you had not seen. So, Well, now, um, for the what,
2: record, I mean, did you finish?
0: Oh, yeah. I watched everything.
2: Oh, you did see Overlord? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I saw Overlord. Oh, okay. So I, saw, have, I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I was able to watch all ten of the top ten and uh, i figured we could just take a few moments here and maybe share some thoughts on the films we had not s- that we hadn't seen when we previously talked about right. it, and maybe and maybe how we might reorder those films from our listeners just on personal levels if that would be okay
2: uh yeah i mean i don't i don't know that i have a a burning discrepancy of the total list but i think mm. i think so the ones that i had not caught when we last recorded that finished my top 10 or my watching of the top 10 were revenge mandy and the meg and and, Mm. i mean you know as a as a little little uh touch point there the meg is fine it was pure it was entertaining it was exactly what you expect it to be yeah um and in that and in that regard you know you i'm not going to criticize it it was it was entertaining that said, well why don't like, we
0: why don't we real quick just uh for those who maybe didn't hear the announcement, why don't we just real quickly I'll rattle it off from 10 to 1. Um so number 10 was Revenge, number 9 was The Endless, number 8 was The Meg, number 7 was Mandy, number 6 was Overlord, number 5 was Upgrade, number 4 was Hereditary, number 3 was Halloween, number 2 was Annihilation, and number 1 was A Quiet Place. Okay. Uh thank you for that.
2: Um yeah, of course. So yeah, of the ones that were remaining for me of the Meg, Revenge and Mandy, I I think the latter half of the list well, I the the only one that would really change dramatically for me from this list is uh Revenge. I I loved Revenge mm. and Yeah, yeah. And sin- Revenge is great. Sincerely looking at this list, the top 3 was A Quiet Place at One, then Annihilation, then Halloween revenge if if we're talking percentages it's by a nose but revenge might beat halloween uh oh wow which here which hear me sounds like i'm sliding halloween i don't mean that like no
0: no i understand i
2: found halloween thoroughly entertaining but in that previously existing ip kind of way too you know what i mean so from a pure just like originality uh sort of ballsiness for a movie about uh, a badass you know, woman done wrong, uh, ballsy yeah, movie. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think for pure, just like taken up in the story they're telling revenge really had a strong effect on me.
0: That's great. You know, okay. I think,
2: I think again, Mandy, Mandy, you said it before when you dissected it, uh, for all of us. Um, it's, it's an insane film. It just is purely yeah. insane. I think it's style is it's winner. Uh, for me, mm. I was, and and hear me like in a world where we dissect it on the on if we ever do an episode on it I think there's probably a lot to say personally sure I was a little I just didn't know we were getting a murder revenge story and and her murder is so graphic and gross and sad like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that part was just kind of a turn off for me and it it you know kind of affected my overall appreciation except for stylistically it's just sure bonkers so uh,
0: yeah yeah, no, yeah. It really is what
2: about what about as you finished out the list would you are there any real notable like things that escalated for you, or that you would
0: sure? You know, um, for the most part, uh, other than like a placement here or there, I would definitely for my personal list, I would put Annihilation. I think at the very top, yeah, uh, just edging out a quiet place. But those, the, I loved both of those movies for different reasons, but so much that placement really doesn't bother me. Uh, the rest of the list, I'm I'm pretty okay with. The Endless would rise up pretty high. Oh, I forgot. Um, I, I didn't even. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Tell me about your. So, experience of that so so i had i had seen the two previous films by that um directing pair those that pair of friends right and uh, their names escape me at the moment but i had seen uh, resolution and i've seen uh spring and neither of I, while i enjoyed both of those films uh neither of them uh did i enjoy as much as i enjoyed the endless i really dug the which
2: endless. one which one is the which one precedes uh, the endless in terms oh. of story
0: Res, resolution okay. Resolution as, as soon as about. So I, I can tell you this Because it's about The Endless uh, Spoilers for The Endless Everybody um, So the, the guys That he runs into at about, uh, When there's about A third of the movie left And he runs into them In that cabin One of them's chained up yeah. And they're having This conversation that, Those are the main Characters of Resolution Like that's who Resolution is about Oh wow that that's the entire like their story, including that identical cabin. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. That that is where resolution. So the takes main
2: place. leads of Endless are not in resolution.
0: They are the oh, main oh, leads yeah. of Endless are in resolution, but like they're they're only in like a scene. Okay. Whereas okay. those guys in that cabin, that's who Resolution is about. Gotcha. So um, okay, cool. And yes, Res- Resolution gets my high thumbs up. Everybody should check that movie out. It's it's different and and it's uh, it's. It's great. I really, really love Resolution. But to speak more specifically about The Endless, I think this directing pair has such a fascinating way of evoking things that make you feel like you've seen more than you have. And that's what The Endless really did for me, is Is it made me feel like I was witnessing more than what I was seeing. I feel like they they clearly have these films on a rather tight budget, but their, their effects savviness is really yeah. strong. yeah their ability to do so much with with what is clearly obviously limited finances but they they are able to draw so much out from it but the thing that really drove me for affection for the endless was it, the ideas that it's scratching at oh, the yeah. ideas are really really captivating and and fascinating and so yeah so like assessing the the list Revenge and Endless would would rise up quite a bit for me. I think I think honestly, and this is not a slight against the film because I love the film. Honestly, in that 9 or 10 range would probably be upgrade, which I really yeah, liked yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. but it I would but it that. would lower a lot for that. <laughs> Um, Endless and revenge would rise up pretty high. I feel like mandy 's kind of where it needs to be. I feel like for me in this list mandy 's kind of where I agree with that, and I kind of agree with aside from upgrade, I kind of agree with the upper half of the list. Mm-hmm. One film that did not make the list that I would throw on there is uh, an independent film called summer of 84 that i that I right. highly recommend yeah, yeah. um, it 's a shutter yet. exclusive yeah i would I would highly recommend it because it 's very different it 's completely different than what you would expect it to be. Um, in ways that I find really interesting and compelling. So, so I would I would have uh, substituted the Meg. No offense to the Meg. The Meg is fine. The Meg is a perfectly entertaining film. I would have dropped the Meg, and I would have thrown Summer of '84 in there. Endless and Revenge would have risen for me. The rest of the list would pretty much have stayed kind of where it is. Yeah, so, and, except and for upgrade down.
2: There. The Meg is like you just said, fine. And in fact, in in some ways, it's fun. Um, oh, it's very fun. I, I think
0: yeah. There's a lot of fun. I there. think
2: ultimately. It's a giant CGI shark, and, and and there's a way that it loses a little bit of its sort of... I, I did thoroughly enjoy the beach, whatever you want to call it, the beach attack towards the end. That was yeah, shot yeah. shot really well, and that was kind of a fun a fun finale. Um,
0: no, I, t- I totally agree. But cool. Um, so
2: we have officially both yeah. seen the top 10 2018 horror movies. <laughs> I did finish them before you, but we have both.
0: Okay. See <laughs> <laughs> How about I just give you a little paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? How about that? You know? <laughs> that's like it's that's like its own horror film right there. <laughs> uh uh so that was uh for those of you who didn't uh didn't catch it, that was uh, a little reference to one of my favorite films from the eighties that is not a horror film but is still delightful. That's the Princess Bride that I'm uh referencing right there. Why don't you give me a little paper cut and pour lemon juice in it? Humpa <laughs> uh, dink, humpadink, hump-a-dink, hump-a-dink. Humperdink, humperdink, what you watching? <laughs> what you reading, humperdink? <laughs> no. What you listening to? I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. <laughs> and after what you just said, I don't even sure I want to be that anymore. You never heard it so good. Anybody, the rest of the episode. Anybody <laughs> want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> no more rhymes now, I mean it. <laughs> oh, that's a oh, great movie. I, I love that movie. Let's just quote that movie for the rest of Let's I Let's avoid like- I
2: mean no, if I'm no, honest no. it feels like you're just trying to delay talking about Cam but <laughs> <laughs> it is it is I
0: wish there was another segment that we could you know kind of intersperse that well, we, you know didn't have to talk about Cam The next, good but,
2: thing you know. the good thing about you saying that is Reed there's another segment that we get oh, to talk about Happy we are... day <laughs> <laughs> We are in the middle <laughs> Of TV Guideposts for 2019, or at least the top of 2019, talking about Mike Flanagan's *The Haunting of Hill House*. If you're relatively new to our series, or to our podcast, welcome. We are grateful for your presence. Um, welcome. Last year we did an actual podcast episode series called TV Guideposts, where we uh, singled out two episodes of three different series, TV series, and dis- discussed them: *Black Mirror*, *Twilight Zone*, and *The X Files*. Um, we have what we think is cracked a bit of the code on how to cover, uh, longer form material by, uh, this year with TV Guidepost, we are discussing each fear of God episode. We are discussing an episode in this case of the haunting of Hill house. We are jumping into episode five today, which is the bent neck lady. So Mm. we will do an episode, each fear of God of the haunting of Hill house culminating in what would be. Chronologically, the 10th episode of Hill House, we will do a full Fear of God episode on. So we have that to look forward to. If you are delaying watching Hill House, delay no longer. It's only going to be harder to catch up the longer you wait. It's a great, mm-hmm. it's a great series. And, um, let's, let's bend our necks towards it, Reed. So this is, oh man, um, episode five, The Bent Neck Lady features, uh, is a Nell centric episode. Um, Yo, Can I,
0: yeah, please. What I'll make one. Yeah, I'll make do one it. Comment out the gate. So, um, this this series is impressive as a whole, but there is at from this point on, it begins to get harder and harder to find what the most impressive moments of the show are. Because I I recognize, and it's a conversation for next week. I recognize we're talking about one of the most artfully crafted episodes of television ever in episode six of Hill House. But, um, emotionally speaking, connective tissue to the different plot threads that they are already been driving towards and teasing at in the show. This is one of the most powerful episodes of this entire show. Yes, like yes. it it is incredible. You mean watch, f- you mean I, five? Ben, lady.
2: Five, right, right, Bent right, Lady. Yeah.
0: yeah, because because last week I said that Luke's episode was one of the most emotionally resonant episodes of the series, and I meant it, but then it's like I got to Bent Neck Lady and I was like, I was wrong, man. This, <laughs> this <laughs> is one of the most, like, this is, I mean, it's next level in terms of like all of the connective tissue, the fear, Well, the, we'll get into the specifics. I'm, gonna, but,
2: I'm hopefully going to drop a bomb on you, though it may not be as big a bomb as I, I want it to be because it's, it's possible. bomb on me lackey um <laughs> because um well let's just put it this way the more i ponder hill house and i've been listening to the score which is great um mm. the more i am percolating like a long form essay centering on nell i don't know if it'll happen or not mm. but okay uh i got really moved by this episode which then subsequently as you alluded to next week's is just kind of Compounds the effect. Mm. So yeah, we're, we're, we're in a nail centric episode. We start with Steven in episode one, then Shirley, then Theo, then Luke last week with the, the twin thing and now the bent neck lady. Um, spoiler alert, the bent neck lady of the title, the bent neck lady, a primary specter. So we think of the series up till now, um, is in fact some sort of chrono astral projection of a hung Nell. It is her sort of. Somehow spiritually projecting yeah. herself across time. And that's, there's a whole lot of, yeah. there's a whole lot of crazy we can discuss there. So, and, and let's just unpack some likes, dislikes. Um glancing. I mean, come on. Read. Uh, they, I know exactly where you're going. Their, their wedding song is Heavenly Day by Patty Griffin. Oh Ooh,
1: my God.
0: You, I know. That's such.
2: Oh. Y'all, you're, you're getting like peeked behind the curtain here. Read introduce me to Patty Griffin. <laughs> Uh, about I don't know, fifteen, sixteen years ago. This not quite that long. Uh, but somewhere in the last a while back. decade yeah, and a half, decent while back. Um, mm-hmm. last dozen years or so. So I, uh, you know, you start having Nell and her husband dance to Patty Griffin in their wedding. I'm just like, oh my god, like, yeah.
0: And <laughs> it's one of the very few songs, yeah, because it's scored throughout. But but it's one of the very few songs used in the in the series and to astounding effect. I mean, it it's a powerful song anyway. It's a beautiful and, and, and lovely song, but juxtaposed with that opening montage, get out of here.
2: Oh <laughs> no, I right. don't want to. I want to stay and talk oh. about it. Um, oh
0: my gosh.
2: I, I mean, there's there's multiple places. Do you want to fire off one or two? I mean, I, I've got, I don't want to yeah, dominate I, the conversation. So no,
0: no, no, I it's, no it's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, one of the things that I love is I love like the first two shots are scare moments and I'm mentioning them in likes because the first two shot scenes of this film or this uh, episode are uh, remembrances of bent neck lady encounters. Okay. Um, it's things that we have seen. What's the second one? So the the first one is she's at the foot of the bed. Yeah. The second one is where she's hovering over okay. the, yeah, the, yeah. the couch thing mm-hmm. that Nell's si- sleeping on. We have seen both of those moments in the show before in, in abbreviated moments. Um, In fact, the very first shot of the very first episode is Nell screaming because of that image of the bent neck lady in front of the bed. So they're tagging back in on things. The reason I'm mentioning it in likes, because it is freaky, but the reason I'm mentioning it in likes is because one of the things I think the show does brilliantly, and again, huge kudos to Flanagan, who wrote and directed every episode, he ties these threads together in incredibly impressive ways because he loops in moments that you would think would just be general setup or general tone setting and makes them vitally important. Like those, like the, those reveals, particularly at the beginning of this episode of, of that bent neck lady appearance, you know, when we find out that Nell is the bent neck lady and that she's, you know, sort of dropping down as you alluded to in these moments of previous existence I mean it's gut wrenching to think about like oh my gosh she was she was seeing herself uh in 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 both situations, young Nell was seeing herself bent neck lady version of herself is seeing her younger self it's just it's traumatic it's it's insane and t- terribly powerful the way he wove those threads through the course of the episode it was it was really effective
2: i think. And if I dwell too heavily in this space, I may weep. So just, you know, I'll try not to do it. But I think Nell as this centerpiece fulcrum upon which this family bends is just so, Mm -hmm. so beautiful and tragic and devastating. She is this incredibly broken uh, I'll 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 come out of come up from the depths just a little bit to say I think when her husband dies is one oh, of Arthur's death. is one of oh. not just is it harrowing as a viewer, mm-hmm. but that moment may be for a show riddled with weight and gravity and scares might be one of the saddest moments in that series.
0: Mm-hmm. It really is
2: because you've yeah. got this this person in Nell who because of the traumas she has endured is just almost a shell who finds in Arthur, this uh, lab tech um, who's helping her at the front end of the episode uh, come to grips with some of her sleep episodes that she's having, finds this, this, this kindred spirit in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. And, mm. and so you, you're kind of heart soars for this, this person who has found her person and, and they yeah. have this this really lovely sort of wedding experience, or or no, that's actually is it the um, it's the it's the proposal that Heavenly Day happens in, or is it the wedding? I can't remember.
0: Well, Heavenly Day is over the whole montage. Oh, right, so, right, 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 yeah, right, So, so yeah, we I think it begins at the New Year's proposal, yeah. where he drops her her ring in the bottom of a champagne glass. Yes. But then the song carries us through to seeing their wedding day, and is it's gorgeous. Yes. And yes. And so yes, it death, cu- culminating uh, in his death. You like uh, He doesn't die on their wedding day just no, clarify, no, 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 but no, he no. Di- but it's like it, but it quickly shows us that very early in their marriage he he died. Well, and because what's
2: right. so what's so beautiful is he has given her these tools to help her deal with this really terrible sort of sleep paralysis she experiences. Yeah. And and so it's just this really really devastatingly heartbreaking moment because I remember the first time it happened. First time I saw it, and it happened. You're like, "Oh my no!" Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you are so mm-hmm. devastated for her. Um, yeah, having found oh, having yeah. found this sort of safety in him that then gets just sort of uh, torn away from her. So that's real, just awful. Um, I I love I love the scene at the wedding of Stephen and Nell watching Shirley watch Theo.
0: That was that was that's a fantastic great
2: scene. <laughs> Almost
0: endears scene. me to Shirley a little bit. I know I had mentioned how she's not a very yeah. endearing character, but her naivete and her utter shock in that moment of finding out uh, Theo's gay is just is is really uh, endearing to watch, and it's endearing because they're watching it, and you feed off of their reactions to it, which is really great.
2: I also love like you on a rewatch like we're doing here. You start to see the seeds that are planted. That are not visible the first time through. Yeah. Did you yeah. did you catch? There's a scene where uh Agent Reyes says <laughs> to young Nell. She says, I can't remember what she's referring to, but she says, Where did you find this? And mm. Nell says, in the toy room.
0: Oh, the red room. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 but
2: yeah. do you remember Reyes' response?
0: Uh it's not coming to me she at the moment, said, no.
2: She says, Where? Oh, oh, okay. So like if you recall, spoiler alert for the end, the red room that of the show mm-hmm. becomes significant towards the end because of ways it manifests differently to individual characters. And so,
0: yes. So yes. the
2: fact that I just love that, that she's just like, where, what are you talking about? You know, like this one, mm-hmm. this woman, this woman who has occupied this house for years and years and years would naturally know where all the, what all the rooms are. And so it's just this right. really lovely oh, that's um, great. sort of foreshadowing of where you go. Oh, uh, this is a random sort of uh, technical note because the note I have is I love the two lights flashing at the house for Neil to, Nell to come home. Do you remember oh, this? Oh, my gosh. When she's sitting outside. Yes, yes. So I did mm-hmm. a deep dive on some interviews and stuff. That exterior is an actual house in the just back roads of Georgia. Like, they just... Really? Yeah, they did location scouting and just found this random house that's like there's like no one lives there it's not near anything and you know we're able to get the permits and stuff to be able to shoot there but uh, oh but they couldn't use the interior so they only shot from the exterior and then when they designed the interiors of hill house it was with that architectural styling in mind yeah yeah yeah. wow so that was really cool i've got some i've got what else you got reed
0: well, I I only really have two more things that I want to mention. Both of them are are kind of heartbreaking moments. This is a heartbreaking episode, and uh, yeah, it was. I was actively sitting there watching this, going, "Man, I cannot tell if this is scarier or sadder." And I think I'm going to lean in on sadder, honestly, because it is terrifying. But it's but there's so much emotional gravity to this. So the two moments I wanted to mention, it just hurts my heart so much when she attends Stephen's oh, book signing yeah. or the book reading. And stands up, and and all that she's saying about, like, you're supposed to be my big brother. You're supposed to be looking out for me, and you won't believe anything that I tell you, and it's just... Oh my gosh, it is gut-wrenching because you recall back, you know, when Theo is talking to her lover and she's saying, you know, and she's saying of that girl that she rescued, right, like she right. just needed somebody to listen and nobody was listening. Yep. And then it's like you see that moment where Nell is pouring her guts out uh in front of everybody to Steven. And saying, like, you know, you say the meanest, I think she said, you say the meanest things to me when I tell you what's going on. And it's just, oh, my gosh, it's it's gut-wrenching to hear that breakdown. But honestly, and it affected me so much more this time around than it ever did, the reveal behind the wallpaper of Come Home yes. Now yeah because because uh, and if you've watched the episode you know this um if you haven't watched it, please watch it but there's a moment where Nell gets in trouble for writing chalk on young the, Nell the, young Nell uh, young Nell yeah child Nell um, gets in trouble for having written her name on the wall but she didn't do it and consistently protests that she didn't do it Um, But her mother gets her in trouble for it anyway, but when they peel back a little bit more of the wallpaper, underneath the wallpaper, where she could not possibly have written it, are the words, come home, for an entire sentence of come home Nell. Well, then, when she returns as adult Nell and goes into Hill House, then it is revealed that it's actually the, the specter, I guess, if you will, of her mother who wrote... Come home, Nell. I mean, some manifestation of the house. And I'm not ready to say that it was really her mother, but some manifestation of the house as her mother writing, come home, Nell, on the wall. And it's just, it's devastating. And you feel it. I felt it the first time through. You feel the weight that you know. You have known since episode one that Nell, in air quotes, killed herself. Right. So you've known that all along. So you know this is a Nell-centric episode. This is the moment she's back in the house. You know something Utterly terrible is about to happen, and even the first time through, it's devastating. But this time around, oh my goodness, yes. I just almost couldn't—I almost couldn't contain myself. It was—it was so upsetting. Well,
2: and this—this very, very this would qualify a bit as trivial bits, but again, doing this deep dive, I texted you. So something to that kind of recontextualized a little bit of the series for me was—you know—I I sort of sideways complained about Theo's jokingly referred to her mutant ability. In, for episode three, Touch. Well, Flanagan, I am, ma- I am using some of this language as a shorthand, but he did make an allusion to this. So know that this is entirely him stating it's me interpreting. But he sort of makes a reference to live the mom, as basically having what in Stephen King parlance would be the shine. To having mm. the shining, and mm. so you know you take this a step further, Hill House, let's appropriate it as the overlook, is kind of devouring this this woman, which is the the kind of narrative arc, the narrative spine of the series. well, yeah, he he does help me kind of deal with some of the things that I might, in my realistic brain try to uh, distill down. By saying, you know, Liv is kind of this prism and passes along some elements of this shine to her kids. Namely, she reference he references Theo having this touch ability, uh, um, Nell having this time sort of thing, projection thing. Um, he he references Shirley having kind of a dreams thing, which I think if again rewatching it with that in mind, you'd notice too. Episode one. I don't know if you remember this, Uh Shirley is dreaming about the Red Room. She makes references to the Red Room in her oh, sleep. Oh, um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, okay, so that was just really interesting from a pure technical standpoint. But what blew my mind, Reed Lackey, blew my mind, Uh-oh. blew my Uh-oh. mind, made me be like, oh my gosh, this is like next level. Because I've one of the reasons I've been reading a lot of the interviews is I'm trying to find this reference and I can't find it, so I don't know if it's meant to be like, low key like you gotta suss this out or if I'm just Mm. reading into it but I don't think I am okay so uh, man I hope this blows your mind the way it did mine so what is the do you have any recollection of the timeline Luke uses for his uh, getting clean not getting not being clean like how long Uh, it
0: just it's just said he just says it took me 10 years to get the 90 day chip now we know that on the cusp of his 90 days is the night that Nell dies. So you can presume that for the past 10 years, he's been struggling to get clean, never clean for right. more than this, three months yes. in the past 10 years. I'm about to blow your mind.
2: Uh-oh. So he got his 90 day chip. Do you, um, there is an answer in episode five for how Luke is able to get clean. Really? Yes. There is a scene Oh, it's right. Oh my gosh. When Nell is taking Luke, which is also a heartbreaking scene, to rehab and he oh. and he gets her to buy him some drugs. And this this broken child of Nell, adult child now of Nell is sitting there alone and isolated and sees the bent-neck lady. Yes. And yes. and it's like she's sitting next to her twin and they make a big deal out of the twin thing throughout the series and and yes. cannot be He's not present with her. Mm -hmm. That night, he goes into rehab. Right. That night, Nell does something, too. She flushes her drugs down the
0: toilet, right? She does. Is that what you're referring to? Oh, my gosh. So you mean he's able to get clean because she's not on drugs anymore? Correct. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Think
2: about it. She's been on like antidepressants and what have you for 10 years. Yes. Luke has been oh. drug, a, an addict for 10 years. She oh recognizes his helplessness that night, goes home, dumps her drugs. For the next 90 days, she is reaching out to Stephen, to anyone who will listen yeah. to her yeah, while is. Luke oh is gosh. in rehab and can't get clean. She's going to her therapist. He is, oh he is gosh. saying, are you still on your meds? She's lying and saying she is. She yes. ends up with this mental illness and trauma that she has been carrying with her. She foregoes her own wellness so that Luke can oh. get clean.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's beautiful. Oh, my God. Man, heartbreaking. Good right? Lord. Right. Oh, man. Oh, I love this show. No, I totally. Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. And isn't there a moment in the car where he spots her pill bottle?
2: Yes. Yes. Don't they
0: have a shot in yes. there? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Never would have I don't know that I ever would have connected those. Well, dots. because it just that clicked on me nuts. when she
2: dumps the drugs. I'm like, why I I was trying to figure out why that mattered. Like, why does it why matter she that dumping she's dumping the drugs? The drugs? Because mm-hmm. she it's not about her making some resolution for herself. It's her seeing right. him so low and knowing oh, my and, gosh. and the previous episode is the twin thing. He talks about his neck hurting. When Steven tells her, like they drum, they beat this drum so hard.
0: Oh my god! And it's
2: right there, like,
0: yeah, that is nuts. That is really nuts. But I think you're right. I think, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. She makes a conscious choice to sacrifice her wellness so that her brother can get clean. Right. Oh my gosh, that is crazy.
2: Well, and I just oh, love and then never get to see but, him again. Right, right. But, and I just love that it's like right there. You know, the Mm. fact that in 10 years, you know, they, they, it's built into the script, you know, 10 years, he couldn't get clean. Now he's clean 90 days for the first time in 10 years. Like those are significant numbers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's, it's,
0: (laughs) it's nuts. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. No, that is, that is pretty crazy. That's very, very impressive. It's Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it really is. It really is. So, Um, yeah,
2: that's, that's, oh, uh, I guess the only scare I wrote down, man. Is the opening scene, and in fact, what I wrote down, read. This is an ongoing theme in 2019. Is that first scene is an open invitation to poop club. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as when, as when it's she, true. Oh, that so lady is at the foot of the bed. Oh my gosh.
0: Yes, that is that is nerve wracking and terrifying. Well, and just uh, the the insane sense of dread that comes in the final scene where she's, um, you know, she's saying, you know, she's been. Golly, this episode just rips your heart out. She gets back to Hill House and then sees all the younger versions of her siblings and everything. But then uh, her mom says, you're expected. And she comes down to see all of them ready for her wedding day. Right. Luke, right. who missed her right. wedding day, is there. And then she steps over and her husband, who's been deceased for however many years, is now like there and present. And it's just, oh my gosh. And then all culminating to the house... Essentially tricking her into hanging herself, and it is oh my gosh, it's devastating. I that's the thing is like it's scary. That whole thing is dreadful and scary, but I think it is more emotionally more emotionally wrenching yeah. than um, it is you know frightening or anything. But a powerful episode, arguably. I don't know. Maybe I'll feel differently once we get later in the show. But it, arguably the the uh crowning achievement of the show. It's a it's a phenomenal, phenomenal episode. We could devote I, the whole rest would, of the time I to it if say we want
2: to. It is probably <laughs> Nice try. <laughs> um I would say it's probably the sh- pound for pound the strongest character-centric episode. You know what oh, I, mean? I agree like, with that. Yeah, definitely. Um I and I love the Luke episode, but but in terms of just rich character work it might be the finest one oh i i absolutely
0: Um, agree i think it definitely is Uh, well reed uh, we can we can avoid
2: the camera no longer so the camera is on us uh it is it is so um (laughs) is it ever um so we are going to pivot out of hill house we we fortunately have the fortitude to be able to do that um pour a cold one out for nell and Liv crane um Mm. and we are going to jump into read Netflix and chills. Um, so it's been a good series up till now. We have not, you know, I mean, like we've, we didn't realize how much we were tempting fate. Um, so right. uh, uh, there is some version of this at the top of this episode. It, uh, you know, you just, they, they, they make this comment in therapy sometimes. You don't know what you don't know. And goodness yeah. gracious, we did not know. So. Cam, this film, um, directed by Daniel Goldhaber mm-hmm. and writ- written by Issa Matze, I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but uh, starring Madeline Brewer. So this film made a lot of lists uh, in terms of 2018 horror, and I I am personally the type of person who, if I I've said this many times on the show before, if I know I'm going to see something or have an idea, I might, I won't really read much i won't watch trailers right um you know you you and i sort of in this particular instance kind of more or less did the same thing it was like hey cam has made some lists it's on netflix it's distributed by Netflix. let's add it to netflix and chills and we're like okay let's do it um yep kind of like the 2018 top 10 horror i did watch this first and (laughs) yes yes. (laughs) Yes, i was like oh boy um so, just a heads up everybody, like, you know, so it doesn't go without saying, like, Reed and I are very sensitive to the material we encourage you or, or that we engage on the show sometimes. Um, this is a very heavy film. Um, it's, I, I'm hesitant to say it's, uh, it's got graphic sexuality to it and it is, uh, uh reveals a part of the world that you may not know exist. Uh, I don't,
0: uh, mm-hmm. I didn't
2: really knew, know exist. And, and so just know if you watch this film, do so eyes wide open. Do not have your bird box blindfold on. Um, it is, it is very heavy. Yeah. Um, it, there, there's a world where it would have made a hell of a lot more sense for us to have, uh, I thought this after Vertigo last year. I definitely think it with this one, uh, uh, time did not quite permit. We should have had, uh, a woman or two's voice. Engaging this conversation, I agree. Uh, we no, are agree. we are highly cognizant of the fact that we are just two dudes wading into some very deep waters that that we may not quite be ready for. But um, yeah. we are going to. Uh, take the material on its own terms and kind of deal with it in that regard, no less than we would any other piece of material. Yeah. Does that seem like an, a fair sort of prelude there? To uh,
0: yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, in case, uh, I mean, I, I feel like Nathan summed it up pretty well, but in case there's any ambiguity here, the 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 issue at play is not so much that the film itself is sexually graphic or sexually explicit, although at times it is, it, this is a case where really the subject, not necessarily what is shown, although some things that are shown would be this, but it is the subject at large that warrants the disclaimer. Because it is, even in the areas of its restraint, it is still, this This was kind of speaking to my experience, there were still moments where the film itself did not quite get very overtly graphic but i was still terribly uncomfortable with what i was watching just it sure. is it's a it's a sort of a disturbing and an upsetting plot which we can briefly describe but we gave an issue at the we we issued a warning or a disclaimer at the top of the episode we'll say so now we're we're going to have the conversation that we tend to have on the show um but we feel you know like nathan said it's it's important to acknowledge that we are two guys and uh, we're about to wade into the waters of some some subject matter that can possibly be uh, a little sensitive and uh, particularly um, if you are sensitive to conversations about the subject of uh sexuality and specifically pornography then i would um, I would exercise some caution i 'm not saying don't listen because obviously our uh, conversation will be tamer than the film was but but exercise some caution um, as as we will i'm sure <laughs> well, and to um, that
2: point, usually we inadvertently. Typically neglect to, to do this until kind of midway through the film's conversation. But, uh, the movie is called Cam. It is written by, um, and it actually, in, I think, uh, the director had a co-write credit too, but, uh, story by and primarily written by, um, again, her, her name. I'm going to make a presumption it's, here. It's
0: a Maze, I, I believe. Okay. Okay. Cool. I will let
2: you say it that way. Um, who herself was a cam girl. So, um, in the world of internet, life uh there's a phenomena of the cam girl which and i'm sure there's probably cam guys too um you know it's kind of sexual performance art um you know so she's performing for viewership and for income um and so the woman uh, as we just pronounced her name um wrote this story Um she does come from that world and kind of wanted to write about her experience and they It's interesting. I did do some reading on it. Um, initially the idea was kind of a documentary style type thing, Mm. but then they found their way into kind of, you know, this sort of horror angle, um, which, which succeeded. Um, yeah. So yeah, just know it's, it's kind of, well, the plot. Yes. So, so it's about, uh, this character Alice, um, whose kind of, uh, online persona is Lola. And this event happens about the midpoint of the movie where this digital doppelganger that is the same actress uh is performing her kind of routines and, and for her audience. And so it's this really creepy suit. So, so take the sort of discomfort that Reed has uh, alluded to already of just the general nature of the film and then add to it this hyper creep factor of this character being unnerved and creeped mm-hmm. out and discomfited by what is literally a her performing for her audience she gets locked out of her account and it's kind of the bedlam that ensues from there and it is uh, i mean even ignore the sort of sensitive nature of of the material it's it's a it is definitely qualifies as a thriller and you know a kind of horror film oh absolutely definitely has yes. the ear marks of that world yeah um were there any uh, did you I think you have done this since we initially talked about it months and months ago. Did you end up watching Handmaid's Tale?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen, yeah. I've, I'm caught up with Handmaid's Tale. My wife and I both watched the first two seasons.
2: Um, well, I did not. It's funny watching Cam. I was like, man, I recognize her, but I, it just wasn't Uh-oh. clicking with me. And yeah, she's, she's a, a I presume still. I, I yes. stopped after the second or third season, second or third episode of season two of Handmaid, but. Um, she, this actress, Madeline Brewer, um, is a featured player on, on Handmaid's Tale. So that That's was kind of the, cool.
0: Yeah. In Handmaid's Tale, she has one of the more sort of overtly outrageous plot lines. Well, her character is is prone to fits and, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and, uh, makes a lot of trouble for herself because of, because of that. Yeah. I, so I have a couple, I have a couple more little trivial bits. Uh, um, yeah. Of this, the the film opens with the credit, uh, and it's it's kind of a big, you know, sort of giving the finger to the director ownership of a film, uh, world and perception. Uh, the film opens with the credit, a film by Maze and Daniel Goldhaber. Um, I don't know if I'm saying either of those names correctly, but Daniel Go- Goldhaber was the only director. maze was the only writer but they they credited the film to both of them as gotcha. you know this sort of collaborative process it's a maze does uh, do you remember the scene where she's talking on the phone to the um, tech support and the tech yeah, support's yeah, yeah. not being helpful the checkout girl who kind of gives her side eye that's the writer uh-huh. that's the writer oh, okay. uh, that's a cameo by the writer something that i found uh, uh, it, it just is what it is, but um, the way that they met is actually because when a Mazzei was in the, the cam girl world, uh, the director of this film had directed some of her product, as it were. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's how they knew each other, and that's how they knew this would be an effective collaboration. You know, he really would, would not have much difficulty getting on board with what she wanted to do and what she wanted to say with this material, and... Uh, I don't know, this is this is quasi-confessional on my part. Um, I did grow up in a very sort of sheltered and naive bubble uh, in, in my little existence. Uh, grew up in a, a southern pastor's home. My father was an evangelist, and then he became a pastor, and my mother worked for the denomination. So a lot of our sort of cultural circle um, was very saturated with just – uh, religious people and uh, fellow churchgoers and and just that was sort of the the world and the climate and I I did I grew up I grew up terribly naive a lot of which I've still carried with me into adulthood but uh, when I mean even in just sort of brushing up against the subject of oh yeah like you described earlier cam has made it to a lot of lists top horror and it's uh it's getting a lot of praise we should cover it and knew nothing about it i had no idea what a cam girl was and so it then when the opening scene of this movie happens i don't know whether to cl- <laughs> i don't know whether to classify this as like a a a dislike a scare but when the opening scene is because the 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 film opens with one of Nathan, already described sort of what uh, cam girl does, but it opens with one of the main characters sort of performance pieces, but it takes a, a kind of a, a dark turn because uh, in this little world, uh, anonymous internet browsers sort of pay money, but it, it's like a, it's like that Bitcoin thing, or it's like it's like a, a a cryptocurrency or technocurrency. I can't remember what they call it. I think they call it cryptocurrency, but it's like it's something where they can drop you know a bit of this these tokens in to prompt the performer to do certain things, and and it, again these things are specifically kind of of a a sexual nature. Well, then somebody drops into the room and starts compelling her to uh do violence to herself and that starts to escalate it's a really upsetting scene like the whole thing it's very the whole thing <laughs> is very upsetting because then and this is the opening scene of the movie like they're just they're right. they're just kicking the door down this is what we're dealing with here it is and so somebody uh begins to prompt her to do violence to herself which then he starts dropping a lot of money it gets wild reactions from the other anonymous visitors in the chat room and in those in that arena uh, then she appears for a good 15 to 20 seconds to have committed suicide on screen right. on camera and you discover again after about half a minute which is st- it's it's long enough yeah that you <laughs> yes, like it is. what just happened what what am, right. what am I in store for and you discover that it was a ruse. I'm
2: sitting there thinking, well, here's another fine mess Reed's gotten me into. Oh. My gosh.
0: Oh, no. oh my gosh. <laughs> Ollie. Um so but uh you discover after again about a half a minute that that it was a ruse, that it was a it was kind of it, it was it was a performance piece um that she was doing to elicit those kinds of reactions. And that the person who was prompting her to do it had previously, is a plant. yes, he'd yeah. he'd been planted by presumably by her, or they had come up with it together uh, to do that sort of thing. But I, I think the thing that, uh, and this would be in sort of the dislikes. I I mean I don't I don't want to be intentionally heavy. Um, I do want to be intentionally sensitive, but this this is a a, a subject matter which because of my upbringing because of uh and we don't need to get into the you know broadcast therapy for reed or the psychology of all these different things but it it evokes certain um I'm going to use the word shame shame triggers uh not not shame not not shame or guilt um sure. I'm cautious of the word re- repulsion um mm. there's but, but but that's the closest Approximate word that I can that I can give. Sure, um, sure, sure. It it is it is this reversal, whereas in where some people uh, might be enticed, attracted and and drawn into this kind of thing as a as a uh, again as a sort of a a secret as you said sort of maybe shameful but a hidden forbidden thing that we're drawn into my reaction is almost again it's it's my psychology there's i'm not attaching any sort of moral weight to it it's my psychology based on my upbringing and everything like that my reaction to that kind of subject matter is is overt repulsion where i I draw back i retreat i'm like you know hide my eyes don't really i it was very difficult for me to sit through this movie not because what is presented is um necessarily overtly graphic again i want to be very clear it's the subject it's the subject it's dealing with and what it puts its characters through that my individual psychology was um struggled with quite a bit um sure. and and so that, well, I yeah, mean, that's my I, experience I, I
2: want to let you off the hook a little bit i mean just like I, I i think that you're identifying and and there's a way this could immediately explode out into just a really big meta conversation about religious culture and, and upbringing and and i do think there's a world in which for people like you and i which is to say late 30 something men who grew up uh, at least striving for some form of integrity, you were much more inculcated in a, a, re- a religious bubble than I was, per se. But even mm. still, I mean, I, I kind of operated on the orbit of that of a similar type bubble for, for many of my years, just not in my most formative years, like you did. But mm. you know, there's just a world where like you're indoctrinated in those spheres to have extreme levels of shame and, and and I know you dispense with that word. I'm just saying for sure, for sure. Trying, trying trying to assess the experience in general, um, shame attached to sort of sexual content and that sort right, of thing. And, right. and, and I, I do think there's a way it's so funny. People listen to this are probably like, Holy cow. What, what you know, reading Nathan stepped on the landmine and in many yeah. ways. That's true. That's, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost
0: it's, exactly what happened,
2: <laughs> you know, and, and, but I just think, it's just, it's just, it's fascinating to assess it on that level. You know, right, it's like, right. because, because what I don't want is, you know, to be judgmental of this character's journey, to be judgmental sure. of these, no, of these creators kind of journey. And this is where it gets into just kind of an interesting sort of socio sociological conversation about agency and, and right, right you know consent and participation and all this sort of stuff and i don't know if there there's a very interesting conversation to be had here i think i'm speaking for me but i think partly for you too our sensitivity is just there's a way to you know hetero uh, evangelically bred dudes uh could really get themselves in trouble oh if we're not careful with how we kind of discuss this and so there's oh, just a certainly. lot of sens- a lot of sensitivity around that. And I want to be um, very
0: clear about one thing. Like uh the you and I had sort of briefly touched on this off pod. It's it it lands differently if you're looking at different psychological spectrums. But, you know, obviously we deal in the horror genre, which is exhibitive of a tremendous amount of violence. And I can understand how somebody would be like, wow, well you guys have you guys have no problem with, like, the violence or, you know, that that kind of stuff. So, you know, why the strong aversion to this kind of thing? And I can speak to a few specifics of, uh, in from the film about what, uh, c- uh, you know, created those reactions in me, but I think it is very different because you and I are also, even in the violence spectrum, and I think even on this show, we've been sensitive to violence as ultra-nihilistic. You know, like, we haven't really covered anything that would be Categorized in like the the uh, subgenre of like torture porn. Not to say that we sure, never sure. would, but yeah. you know, something that is of a more exhibitive nature um, is something that that we shy away from as well. Yes, there are violence in the films we cover. Yes, there are occasionally sexual uh, material in the films we cover. But um, I think you and I both, um, if something is dealing with exploitation we would tend to drift away from that just in terms of our proclivities and things like that. Again, I don't want to speak for you, but I think sure I think here is a film, a very artfully let lest it go unsaid, a very artfully and well made, I think I, I think really well made film that is dealing with the subject of exhibition in its premise. It's dealing right, with, right, right. in the basest form of what this film is dealing with, it's dealing with exhibition. So naturally, I, being framed the way I am, yes, a man, yes, with a Christian upbringing, but when I already have a sort of a, an aversion to things of ex, of an exhibition nature, naturally I'm going to have some some distance from this film, and actually I'm going to have some strong reactions to it. So anyway, I just, I felt the need to sort of put that out there.
2: Yeah. Well, and to get us back towards the shallows, at least for a few minutes. So what you're saying is there's not going to be any (laughs) in a box jokes.
0: (laughs) Wow. Not this, not this episode, (laughs) not this episode, Mr. Rouse. (sighs) Oh my gosh. Like, oh God! Yeah. No, well, I'm just no. trying
2: to I'm just trying to get us back into some surface stuff. So sure, before we wade sure. back into the waters. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the first one of my first notes, um, so there's a point where Alice so one thing that I found just interesting about the movie is like, she has a brother, you know, the, the, the lead character has a brother and, and the brother at least seems to, until it spirals out of control a bit, kind of knows about what she does or at least some mm. version of what she does. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of, I don't know, there's a little bit of banter there. Well, so her mother is a hairstylist. Yes. So Alice is, Alice is getting her hair done or she's at the salon or whatever. And she's, she's shopping on her phone. Oh my gosh. And, and, and she's like buying this five thousand dollar couch, and what I wrote down is, man, I'm in the wrong business. Oh. Well, what's <laughs> oh, no. what's what's hilarious, readers? It says ten minutes later. Never mind, this is too much work. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> Just watching her, you know, make oh. her money. Yeah, um, that's true. I, you know what I don't have much in the likes dislikes I've got a ton in the scares
0: i've got a I've got a couple in likes dislikes yeah. so uh, I've already kind of addressed I had written down to to mention you know why the the subject of the film is kind of uncomfortable for me but i, I but less to go on said like the performances are stellar like madeline yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh what Brewer. is the last name Brewer yeah madeline yeah. Brewer like delivers a fully committed very effective performance um and uh, and I really feel like not only from her but from also the the uh supporting players. Everybody is is very committed and very believable to what they're doing. So the performances are really outstanding. I I found obviously found it upsetting, but it was one of the few times in the film where i specifically very much empathized with her and what she was feeling when the brother's friend just announces oh, gosh, to the sure. room uh what she does just the some context for the right. moment is uh is that there's yeah the like her brother who kind of has some awareness of what she does uh somehow his friend finds out and like they're all together for a birthday party and this friend just announces it to a crowded house full of people, including her mother, none of whom knew that that was what she did and that was how she made her money. She had been telling people that she was kind of doing a a freelance internet uh, thing, uh, which well, and was.
2: It's, it's, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's, yeah, important, it's important to note there, plot-wise, and this is actually interesting from uh, the writer's true. This this is a true inspiration for the story. So the the cam girl sort of website she works for, or or is her agent basically? Yeah. Um,
0: the platform in which she operates. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. The
2: the social platform there um is an isolated system. It's an isolated mm-hmm. platform. Well, what happens, and this is what happened to the writer in real life, um, is one of her videos kind of escapes. It's kind of like, hey, I've got all my oh. privacy. All my privacy settings are are uh, of the highest ranking on my Facebook or on my Instagram or whatever. And somehow one of your, you know, kind of posts gets out into the world and you didn't mean it to, well, right. This is what happens to her. And so that's what the young men stumble upon. They don't Mm. stumble on her normal, like her normal. Cause that's Ah, where she has control. And that's where this whole notion of consent and digital, all this sort of stuff is interesting. But so to, to parlay back into what you're saying is that's what those young men discover is, Right, her right. her videos have gotten farmed out to the internet at large, and they find it.
0: Mm. Yeah, that no, that is that that's a an important addition. Um, the one the other thing that I have in my likes dislikes category is, and this again, this is something that I just find utterly kind of it's just we're 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 just messed up as human beings. We're just we're just messed up as as people. Um, when she tries, because as part of the plot, uh, Nathan alluded to it earlier. As part of the plot, somebody begins to basically adopt her face and begins to post videos to her account while she's not posting, and so it, it's this whole doppelganger phenomenon. And she doesn't know is this a is this a real person? Is this some, is this some sort of computer hack? I, I, I don't know what it is. Well, when she finally uh, calls the police in and proves to them definitively, "Hey, mm. this is live right now, and I'm right here." So clearly, somebody has stolen my identity. But the police officers, both male, um, are so painfully dismissive of her plight. One of them, I think, says, "You know, just stay off the internet." And uh, another one pays her. I'm not even going to repeat it here. Pays her just the absurd, the most absurd and offensive version of a quote-unquote compliment it's it's really it's really pretty upsetting uh it's upsetting to her it's upsetting to us as the viewer that she would that that an authentic appeal to the authorities who are supposedly supposed to to regulate this kind of behavior is met with such dismissive and disparaging uh reactions uh it's it's a really upsetting moment again these the the film is terribly effective like i i'm i'm going to be a bit hard on the film in terms of subject matter but the film is very well made and it's and and its moments are very effectively rendered any of the sort of critique i would have of the film is definitely not of the craft involved right in, in what was executed i want that to be very clear
2: well and fascinatingly i i think the film works as this kind of broken mirror idea like you can, I'm not saying you read, but a per, a viewer, especially a viewer from a more uh, religious background, like, like say us, will have the tendency to judge her. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think if you take a, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, I'm, this is me thinking out loud, but if you, if you sort of remove the moralistic note to what she's doing, in other words, she is, as an adult, with agency consenting to her own performance under a controlled environment and insofar as she understands it so that pure kind of activity uh, is is not moralistic in and of itself right you know i understand what you're saying uh, from from a purely uh purely industrious kind of mindset so that you you know just that activity that action that choice is is not moral or immoral now someone might say well you're using your body as an income producing sort of thing Mm -hmm. and and attach moralistic overtones of that which you know that's a whole other conversation but what becomes fascinating is then when the cops show up the the serve and protect idea and as you identify one dismisses her and in fact his line is if you don't want to see stuff like this and what he's referring to is uh identity theft effectively of the most right. heinous version he says if you don't want to see stuff like this staff the internet the other one uh i think effectively she tells him what she does and he's doesn't he basically solicit her almost like well yeah tell yeah. me about it or or like what
0: he you says know, what's when, the i think he says what's the craziest thing or what's the yeah, thing it's, you've yeah it's been very asked to do? it's very uncomfortable and so Which is something, by the way, that's a question the writer of the film receives. She said, I don't know if this was in an interview or in some sort of unpacking of the film, but she said that's the question she most often gets. What's the weirdest thing you've ever been asked? to Yeah, this was the writer of the film. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and I guess all I'm trying to say is that scene becomes this really fractured mirror as we look in it of like. You can judge her if you want, but this, but at the end of the day, at least in that moment, have some compassion on this character whose life is being torn apart. And now this authority figure is like, lording his authority over her in the moment. Right. um, right. And, and, or utterly disregarding her sort of, you know, need for protection. And it's really disheartening Mm -hmm. and distressing. Um, and, and to the extent we're able, I, I do want to just kind of, you know, we, we've laid a lot of groundwork in terms of the the sort of moralistic or not sort of overtones here I, in terms of just approaching the film on its own. Like it is it's it's a harrowing film, almost begin literally beginning to end. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Reed already alluded to. And so I'm effectively in scares now. But this opening sequence and again, I I think I may have subconsciously knew known I was watching it ahead of you. I had a little bit of extra time. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to get this out of the way. And this right. opening, this opening three minutes where she's doing this performance thing. And even, you know, the performance thing starts, you're like, okay, this is what the cam part means. And yeah. then, and then she has what you learn kind of learn is a faux suicide, but you don't know it in the moment. And in mm-hmm. my head, I was like, holy shit. What <laughs> on earth are we? Oh my goodness. Like this Yes, just, yes, it, it goes up to 11 real quick. Oh, um, yeah. So kind of starts
0: at nine and then just (laughs) continues to, to, yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, well, what you come to learn through the course of the film is, as Reed mentioned earlier, one of the, the person baiting in the, in the chat room, uh, the, 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 the suicide, you know performance is someone she's planted there it's someone that you learn she's got and she's got a couple of kind of paramours or uh, dig, you know digital paramours that you know kind of dote on her but again in this sort of way that is you know she's comfortable with kind of thing it's not initially uh inherently um you know troubling or or whatever distressing to her right, but right. where the movie starts to take the real horror turn is some of these suitors start showing up in her real life yeah um and that is creepy you know her dinner
0: date with barnaby oh barney barney Barney. Barney. sorry oh my goodness that
2: is awful so it's terrible but even before that is tinker is his online name Mm -hmm. at the salon
0: Mm -hmm. uh
2: the guy she gets to set up the suicide thing shows up in her real life she gets very unnerved by it she accosts him in a public place because he's shown up there and sh- he says, You told me you love me. And it's just, oh my mm. gosh. Um yeah, it's so, awful. there there are so many levels, and on that stay on that from that standpoint, it is a very fascinating film. I do think just the boys discovering her online at the party is really terrible and scary. Like all yeah. of this stuff is in my scares uh re just mentioned barney at the restaurant so this is someone she starts once this doppelganger aspect of the film kicks in she starts trying to sleuth her way into figuring out what's going on well she sets up this real life date with one of these suitors you know this person who's gonna buy her things and take her to dinners and all this of stuff but it's this older gross dude and while she's on the date with him, she excuses herself to the restroom. He he somehow realizes that there's a a show going.
0: Yeah, well, I I don't know why he's got it got it activated on his phone or whatever, but he but he sees it on his phone that her profile is right. live Active. and online. Yeah. And um and so he's like, how can how can that be when you're on a date with me? And, and right. that's, yeah. And his reaction to it is it turns ugly, terribly quickly. frightening. Yes, it does. Yeah, it really does. Uh,
2: I I guess just one or two more um scares here, then we can re dive into the themes, for me at least in terms of scares. But yeah, I think I think that pro- one of the truly like. Separate from all the sort of discomfort of just the sexuality aspect, one of the true, like, scary movie scenes in this film is when she is watching the doppelganger video taking place in her apartment bedroom. No, she's in her apartment bedroom while it's live from her performance room. Mm -hmm. And the doppelganger in the performance room starts trekking through her
0: apartment to her. Oh, my Gosh, yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. Oh, it's Woo! it's terribly unnerving. And she starts having this real visceral reaction where she's like, Get out of my room, get out of my house, you know? And oh man, it's yeah, it's very upsetting. Um, the only Yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, I was just gonna say the only other sort of scare that I had on my list was just the the individual suicide scenes are again, both of them turn out to be uh I don't, I don't fabrications. The second the, the, second se- the second one is the doppelganger version of her shoots herself. Oh and, yeah 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. and so both of those scenes are uh they're they're actually both revealed in the moment to be fabrications. Right, right. Yeah, but uh but it's still it's it's terribly upsetting cuz the camera does not flinch away.
2: I think the last kind of major scare uh it's a quote. So late in the film tinker this guy this nebbish gross sweaty dude um, who has confronted her in the real world she goes and seeks him out because for some reason i can't recall she intuits that he might have some ideas as to what's going on with her sort of doppelganger thing well she confronts him he seems very cognizant of the phenomena she's describing and his line read his line is I've watched enough to know when a girl's going to be copied.
0: Oh, As my I thought, goodness.
2: This, In fact, what I wrote is this is intense and heavy and awful right after it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, indeed.
2: I mean, just the implications of that are just so awful and heartbreaking and staggering.
0: Yeah, it's true. So
2: there's a lot of places we can go thematically with this. Um, sure, um, sure. And do, so that I know, do you have any real kind of... I want this to be the last kind of theme or, or profound sort of things you want to sort of throw into the mix?
0: Well, I had, I had two possible things to, I, I, wrote, I wrote down basically two subjects sure. to possibly explore with this. Um, I, neither one of them are things that I necessarily feel, okay, the conversation can't end until I've said this. Right, right, right. Um, but, but it's possible that both of them may come up in this thematic conversation. they kind of related to each other.
2: Um well let me let me throw a surface one at us that may get way, get us into some deeper waters. Um I mean there's a whole there's a whole host of things we could talk about in terms of the the sex and violence and consent kind of you know yeah. com, com commoditization of of bodies and female bodies and that sort of thing and I yes. think we we might get there but on a very surface level goodness gracious this movie was such a profound illustration of what um Sherry Turkle whom I referenced multiple times over the the years of the show um who does a lot of uh, uh study and research on human interaction with technology what she refers to as the digital double and in fact I went I went back and and looked through some of my notes I'd taken in one of her books Reclaiming Conversation and she talks about our engagement with social media uh, and you could argue more or less the internet at large but as most let's say, of a normal American's internet time these days, probably 80-plus percent of it is on social media, um, right. of the way the internet scrapes your data as you use it, mm-hmm. Um such that things like, and we all know these stories by now, but reflecting back to you ads for a thing you searched for five minutes ago, Right. Um, you know, I just read the other day about a patent that Google Assistant or that Google is trying to push through for google assistant where your smart home device your smart home elements can measure the tones of voice associated with you things like when you're brushing your teeth things like how your tone of voice is in arguments and things like that thus using this sort of data to spit back the the internet is going to eat us and and it's going it's going to happen sooner than we like Uh, little notes like um I was listening to a conversation the other day about big tech. It was a Chris Hayes episode. I reference him a lot um this this journalist who made active efforts to one week not use anything Amazon associated the next week not use anything facebook associated so did this for several weeks uh, with different big tech companies and I don't know if you know this read uh Amazon like the Amazon store
1: mm-hmm.
2: is basically just the surface of the water in terms mm-hmm. of what amazon what amazon does in the world, uh, oh, okay. made major, major government contracts, um, houses, a third of the world's internet data, oh, um, my in terms of servers. Um, she was saying that in order to completely cut herself off from Amazon, handicapped her pretty much completely from much to any sort of, uh, uh functional internet usage, uh, interestingly, wow. Apple is, and, and she made a point. She was like, the reason Apple products tend to be so expensive is, um, because part of what you're paying for is the fact that Apple is a hardware company and they position themselves that way. They don't go after your data. Like, oh, they're, I they they are, they are very big on individuals' privacy. Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon are not whatsoever. That's why mm. these, that's why these things are quote unquote free. Well, so. Sherry Turkle, uh, tying this towards the movie talks about this digital double, you know, in a world where you're using Facebook and all of its uh, itinerant sort of attached technologies in a world where you're, uh, using all that Amazon has to power the internet with in a world where you're using Google. She tries to shut off Google and realizes how much she uses her maps and even things like oh, wow. u- Ubers and Lyfts, which she now can't utilize because they are reliant on Google Maps, but all of these things that are pulling bits of your data and, and your online life and creating this digital double reflection of you. Right. So right, right, right. You, you can see where this is going. Like this movie mm. creates the horror movie version of that. And, and you made an allusion to this earlier. And I don't know if you were saying this for me personally. I do not think whatsoever the movie is positioning this other Lola as a real human out in the world. Oh Um, no, I definitely think it's an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, And in fact,
0: I read uh, that there is a deleted scene, which definitively proves it is an algorithm that is created and generated by reviewing cataloging and replicating Uh, Lola's Alice's, Alice's uh, cam name is Lola by, uh, you know, sort of cataloging her material and creating a digital version of her. There was a scene that that definitively proved it was an algorithm that supposedly got excised from the film.
2: That's interesting because I don't know if I would have liked it more with it in or with it out. I mean, because part of me wishes for a little less ambiguity, but part of me likes that too. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the movie, as it is, does not definitively state It, it highly suggests um particularly is, in that
0: nose breaking scene yeah
2: yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah but i guess this is just a long winded way of getting to this notion of what we see in alice's experience we view as horrific and part of a horror movie and yet it is not currently our physical sexual bodies but right. in many ways this is happening like mm, right,
0: right, the right, right. the uh
2: the algorithmic nature, the you know the fact that your Facebook account is free, and yet it's one of the largest companies on the planet means they're getting something, mm, and what mm-hmm. they are what they are getting is is you, uh, your yeah. information, and this movie just turns that into the most intimately invasive version which is right right your your sexual self replicated without your permission uh mm. or consent used for the titillation of gross tinkers out in the world right, um, right. i mean even then read like and feel free to jump in whenever you want but this one just came to me today of like this this cracked mirror idea of this movie like when The indictment, the, the tacit chastisement the movie is making, it, it doesn't drive this home. But when Tinker, there's a scene, the the scene I referenced earlier where Alice shows up to this hotel room. Well, she finds later, this is crude, but it's what's happening. Tinker masturbating to this digital double of hers. Right. And, and, and I just thought, Oh my God, you know, this is the world we're steering, we are steering into, which is, You know, take it from a gender perspective in that scenario, if you want, men—the the the disembod—this is no longer even a human under on offer here. You know what I mean? Right,
0: right, right. Like this
2: disembodied, purely for someone else's pleasure and consumption. It's there's a Mm. lot to be mined here. I'm just kind of talking. What do you think? Yeah. Well, so (laughs) this was
0: one of my this was one of my little points. Um, the the scene it it stood out to me thematically, probably the scene that stood out to me the most is after the dreadful reveal at the birthday party of what she does for a living. Then there's a scene a bit later where her mother it, it, adverse of the police officers authentically compliments her and says, you know, you're, you're good at what you do. Right. And, and then she, this was what was so fascinating. Her, predicament in the film is that somebody has copied her existence and so it is it is not actually her it is a double it is a doppelganger but as she is trying to communicate to her mother that's not me that's that's not me doing these things her mother translates it as as if she is saying something on a psychological level as if she's saying that's not who I really am or that's not, you know, the substance of me Right, right, because right. her mother that's in like, well, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the know. Uh, I forget exactly what phrases she uses, but she basically, her mother is like, I'm, you know, I'm a modern woman. I have modern sensibilities. I understand this, you know, this dynamic and everything. And, uh, Alice is really struggling to get through to her mother this simple fact of, no, my identity has been stolen, I have been copied, this is not me. But it, I just found it so fascinating, you're talking about these dissociative sort of identity factors, These uh, this digital double, as it were. And it did make me think a tremendous amount about how much, and, and this is one of the themes that I would, would specify in this arena or any other, of how much power we give to our fantasy world, to our to our fantasy imaginings, and the the power and the control that we allow them to influence our choices, influence our behaviors, and the, the, so this specific industry, the the again you uh, spoke about it, I think deftly so sort of removing the moralistic nature of it and viewing it just as an industry. I'm going to risk a striving a bit of a moral statement or sentiment to this, but this industry, as basically all industries would say that they do, sort of capitalizes on a need of its consumers, and then it perpetuates that uh, you know, a, a service, I guess you could say, uh, a, and it perpetuates that to its consumers. The difference with this is that, uh, by its own nature, by the nature of this service, it is, um, addictive. It is right. something that, that people return to frequently. There is, uh, a documentary that I saw recently, and I, I, I highly recommend this documentary. I was surprised. I, I was very moved by it. I was surprised to find online that there are some differing opinions about um, its content, but I found it very moving. It's a film called The Mask You Live In. Have you heard of this film? No. Okay. So The Mask You Live In is a documentary about the ways in which society shapes, influences, and in many ways controls the, the masculine definition like the definition of what it means to be a man, and it, it's a fascinating documentary because it's actually directed by a woman, but she speaks what to a it, number. What is it called? The mask. You it's called you call it? the mask you live in Uh-oh. is the name of it, and uh, it's a you know ninety minute documentary, but in it she explores certain patterns of behavior, and um, boys are basically taught. From uh, certain key things from very young ages, they're taught these things, and then they develop into men who exhibit certain consequential behaviors because of the things that they're taught. One of the things she highlights, uh, and it's not, it's not a uh, narrated by a woman. There's a number of different voices, male sure. and female, of uh, different psychologists and different walks of life that, that sort of deal with this subject. But one of the things they, they land on is they say boys are taught from an early, from an early age emotional suppression. Mm-hmm. Boy, boys don't cry. Be a man, man up. Aggression, that the way you solve problems is by being the toughest guy on the playground. You know, uh, force, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, And then another one is sexual conquest. Mm -hmm. and, And making aspersions on your value as a human being based on how much women desire you. And how many of them you can, uh, again, conquest language, how many of them you can sort of win. And the documentary is fascinating because it does not absolve predatory behavior, but it very much says in, in, in several times over, but there are factors feeding into this that make it far more complicated than just telling somebody to cut it out. There right, are factors right, right, from, right. from from the the youngest of ages, um, both generational and cultural, that make men feel like they have to be a certain way. And one of the reasons why a film like this is complicated for me to talk about as, as a man is because I could not possibly have an understanding of what it is like to be a woman who wants to have, as you described earlier, agency and a sense of uh, not only value, but a sense of talent, if you want to call it that, something that she can succeed at. Right. And it, it, it's tough because on one level, I feel like the world that this film depicts is very entrapping. Like there's that one scene where she's in a private chat with Barney and then somebody comes in somebody opens a door in Barney's room you know and he's having a private chat with her and then somebody opens oh, a door yeah, in yeah. her in her room and he just quickly closes the laptop down right you know and then there's also just the very fact that they are the the concept and premise of the film is that she will do what they pay for that's that's what her performance basically is she she does some things kind of on her own but she will do what they pay for and it struck me as and just put this very very heavy weight in my in my gut about these things that basically imprison us into making us feel like we have and we've talked about this on the show before in different contexts where it traps you into believing you have agency believing you have control when I would really wonder If you really do, you know, like one of the things that has always frustrated me, has always left question marks in my mind in light of what I consider to be very important social movements like hashtag me too and and, and certain other things like that is, is this industry, the industry of exhibition of women's bodies specifically for male satisfaction, if you will, um, or female satisfaction because the visitors are anonymous. Well, okay, so I'm I'm rambling a bit. There's something that I that I'm avoiding saying that I'm just going to rip the band-aid off and, and go ahead and say. I I know we're kind of trying to uh be sensitive to to not make overtly moral uh have an overtly moral conversation about the subject matter here, but uh the, sort of the more I try to do that, I suddenly feel like I'm not ha- I'm no longer having an honest conversation about it. The fact is that I do not understand what it means to be a woman and need agency and need autonomy and 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 so with the sincere disclaimer that I do not understand what that is like and therefore um would be uh, remiss to presume that I can speak objectively about it I have some severe moral uh reservations about this industry and the way that the industry Feeds on male desires and the way it exploits bodies, not, both male and female. I have some. I have some severe uh, reservations, and uh, and I would even go so far as to say, like I, I, I really would indict that industry for fostering and cultivating a lot of the the sort of uh, deviance in sexual behavior that we see in. A lot of people in this day and age, and I know that some people I've heard it expressed. Some people are like, "Well, you know, it's consenting adults," and and uh, and there's this whole subset of thoughts about, you know, desires and 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 the the agency to enact those desires. But I think ultimately, you talk about this digital double, talk about this other self. I feel like this is, and this is what we've expressed before on the show. I feel like it is an offer of freedom that is merely the back door to a trap in which it imprisons you in a different version of addiction. And I I know that's a real heavy, just like statement to say on this, but um, I, I had to just put that kind of bluntly out there because I I was beginning to feel like I wasn't being honest (laughs) about what I was. Well,
2: well, and, we do explore, we don't explain there's there's a whole lot of threads you know this this could be a three hour conversation mm. with with all of the layers inherent here. I do want to make a distinction though that I do think is inherent to what I think you're after i This is me just sort of hypothesizing here yeah. but but i I think there's a difference, and i would I imagine a person like Alice would make this distinction as well like that but i think there's a difference between exhibitionism and exploitation Mm. now is there a very thin line between those at times i would imagine yes but because because you're not incorrect we are a craven people with base disgusting i don't mean that in a like sophomoric way we we are horrific to each other and and to each other's bodies right uh uh kind of kind of just as a species you know i I am cognizant of i don't know how much you've seen these headlines lately but this i don't even want to say the people's names but but there's a there's a major nfl person who's being linked right now to Mm. a a team owner Mm. who's being linked right now to these massage parlors that effectively was and was indentured servitude for like hundreds of women. Yeah. Um, so you've got that going on in the news. You've got this Florida politician person. I, don't, I actually don't know his role because I didn't study it enough because it repulses me so, um, who has been credibly, you know, accused of sex with underage girls. Mm. Like it's it's horrific and horrendous and atrocious and abominable to the core. And now does exhibitionism to a mass broadcast is is the logical endpoint a form of exploitation? There's maybe a large degree to which that answer is yes. Yeah. Um, but I do think, and maybe I'm splitting hairs and by, and I'm not necessarily trying to defend one position or the other. I just think, you know, I, I do want to be sensitive to, because I've thought about this, but like, um, some of the podcasts I listen to talk about the TV show, The Deuce. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's I'm a not. David's, I think it's a David Simon show. Uh, it's an HBO series. Maggie Gyllenhaal's on it, but it's about the porn industry in New York in the seventies. Mm. And apparently it's like, you know, just being heralded as a really great piece of feminist work. And, and, and yeah. I don't even be into, that sounds, my tone sounds dismissive. I, I don't mean to. There are ways in which I don't personally understand how to, uh, how do I say this? There are ways I'm not smart enough to engage that conversation. You know what I mean? Like, like, right, right. right, right. And, and, and so all I'm trying to say is I think to, to the cognizant, uh, and, and many religious folk would roll their eyes at some of this language. I'm using to the cognizant entrepreneurial sex worker, they would make a distinct difference between exhibitionism and exploitation, Um, Mm -hmm. what I side with that. I don't know. I I just think I don't, I don't disagree with you, my friend who would say there's a, a parasitic gross web that cultivates and props up an industry where maybe someone thinks they have agency and don't. I don't I don't know.
0: These, well, are, and, and these are
2: things that sometimes feel just above my pay grade. Well know? and and I
0: totally I'm right there with you. But to get to, to specifically respond to the film, and I know I already talked a long time, but to specifically reference the film, she's telling her mother that's not me. That's not me. And to the degree in which um, i'm fascinated on a different subject to the degree of in which people identify themselves as what they do so so people uh, would say i am a writer i am an actor i am an engineer i am uh, you know a construction worker i am what you know whatever uh, field or or creative industry or industry in general that you are in the ways in which we associate ourselves as as what we do and we make that statement i am this thing what's what's fascinating to me is there are people, very few people I think, who would say that what they do is the summation of who they are. i I find that to be uh, you know we're talking about digital doubles in the context of what the premise of CAM is. but I think there are people who would who would wholeheartedly attest, no, I am not. Summed up entirely by just what I work at or what I do, but I feel like with right. this with this specific industry, I think and I think you said something to this effect, but the lines of exploitation and exhibition really get blurry very, very fast because you are you are uh, something that I had mentioned earlier about the power and influence you are allowing your fantasy world to have in your life and and in who in who you are to the degree that this so so her image in cam has been stolen her image and her profile so i think it's it it can't go unsaid that the way the film ends is that she deletes the account but she doesn't walk away from the industry sure she starts sure. over with a new fresh false identity a a, a false Self, as it were. And because as we're sitting here talking, I looked up the definition for exhibition and exploitation. And exhibition basically is just the display of a particular skill, which you could say is what Alice is doing. Um, The the definition of exploitation is is benefiting from someone unfairly. So you so you're sure. benefiting yeah. from somebody uh and, and so then you get into all these definitions about fairness and choice and everything. And one of the key things for me is the the ending of the film. I the the writer of this film was in this world. The director of this film was in this world. And when they chose to end their film, they chose to end it by her taking back her agency with a new false identity rather than abandoning the world. Right. Now I honestly can't say if I think that is meant to be tragic or empowering. I wish I could say, but I honestly, and, and probably, Well, that's I think the because, film
2: intends it as empowering.
0: Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm that's, not arguing uh, yeah. for
2: it. I just think that's what the film intends.
0: Yeah. Um, which I think is fascinating because to me, because that the film is, sees that as an empowering moment, it is not indicting the industry. Right. In my mind, it's not indicting the industry or it's not indicting this world if it sees her taking back her sense of self as a she's, and that's essentially what she's doing. She's taking back her sense of self by creating a new false identity. Right. And I don't often say this about these films. um, But uh, when I say these films, the films that we cover, but that is a choice I distinctly disagree with. And that's, that's as much as I can put it to that end is she takes back her sense of agency by creating a new false identity and i consider that to be a further propitiation of your examination of a digital double this this false self this this putting forth a a false self uh for whatever ends by whatever means um and so i just i disagree with her character's choice at that point if that is meant to be an empowering moment um it did not strike me as as such Maybe it's because I'm a male. Maybe it's because of my feelings about the industry. I'm not sure. But sure. Um, that that was a that was a choice on the character's part that I disagreed with. Whereas when she was able to destroy the digital double and was able to delete the account, I was very much kind of, you know, look at what it cost her to get to this point. Right. But, her, but her mother making her up and putting her back out into the. I mean, I, I do not find it insignificant that her mother helps her do this that her mother helps her get back into it now that her mother knows what she's doing. So I so yeah, I I don't feel that the film is really indicting the industry in which she operates as much as the stealing of somebody's work and the and the theft of somebody's personhood. Um and so I feel at that point that the there's it's it's complicated because it's a world that is completely oblivious to me like it's and so maybe i should acknowledge that as well
2: yeah yeah i think there's a there's another hour's worth of conversation to be had there because i I, because it's interesting i'm reflecting on like your very cogent note like the movie the, the characters within the movie pass no judgment on her sort of behavior and or her sort of uh, getting caught in the web of this kind of industry that would facilitate her being able to do this. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, I guess I'm thinking right. about uh, hear me. It's funny. I'm going to make this metaphor and then it's going to be like, well, what movies are referring to? I really don't know. But I think about, you know, the, the story of the someone getting out of someone, the burlesque dancer or something getting out right. of that mm-hmm. world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that, that yeah. that's the typical version of that story. But I also, This is where I just sometimes feel just ill-equipped to have this particular version of conversation is like, okay, well, is that story written by some dude, you know, who wants the, you know, kind of more hooker with a heart of gold type of thing? You know, I I don't know. I don't know. There's just a lot. There are a lot of angles on this story that are are not – that I'm not privy to. I do agree with you. It is difficult. You know, our sort of traditionally moralistic standpoint, which I don't mean like is – a traditionalistic version of morality, but just like what we would sort of lean into as our prism would mm-hmm. say, Hey, there's a better way to do life than this. And, and
0: oh, I, absolutely.
2: You know, but this movie doesn't position it. doesn't position that way, you know?
0: No, no, it doesn't. And to the, and, and I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no. I keep, I keep wanting to wind down and these things are like rising up in me. It has been, uh, you know, the, the psychologists, uh, objective, um, non moralistic studies have have proven that saturation in in observing this material and engaging in this material um will rewire your neurological pathways. Sure, where sure. You will find it difficult to have healthy relationships in the real. Right. Like right. Re- regardless of casting aside and, and and why I think this is a valid sort of feminist statement um, is the ways in which a woman can exert her agency in this capacity, and uh, men will be submissive and and pliant to what she's you know attempting to do, um, and and so in that way, I can understand why someone would see that as empowering. I do understand that. the the problem that I deal with is in the actual. Charted effects that the long term association with this industry has had both on people who are physically involved in it and people who engage in it and in a sure. in, in an exorbitant way right. um, I mean again, not religious studies, psychological studies right, have right, said, right. you you will find it difficult to have normal, healthy relationships if you engage in this kind of thing at an exorbitant degree and, right. and I just i can 't ignore that. In in the conversation about this film, as much as I want to sort of champion her her reclaiming of herself, the the final beat of the film just just won't let me do that. And maybe ultimately, if somebody's listening to this and and they feel differently about it, maybe ultimately I just have to chalk it up to maybe I just don't get it, and maybe I don't. But that's my perspective on on what the film delivered for me is right. that she appears to be taking back her sense of self, but to me it was tragic in the sense that the only way to do that was to create a new false identity and even says i think in the film you know if the same thing happens what if we get copied again we'll just make another one it will never stop right it will never stop and um and i find that to be somewhat somewhat tragic sorry to end on a bit of a dour note but like <laughs> well but it, uh, yeah. you know i
2: mean this the mo- this is a a movie with a very particular Vantage point that it's trying to yeah, paint. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. that vantage point is rooted in a very particular economic strain of the very real world. And so yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's hard to sort of set aside our real world kind of feelings right, uh, right. in favor right, of just of taking it on its own. So. No, well, in the spirit of that, do we feel like heading to the Fog Meter? I mean, this we, been a- yes,
0: we should. Before we dive back into the right, subject, right, right, we should go let's ahead just, and head into the Fog Meter. Yes, yes, for, exactly. For, for Fog's sake, let's do it. Um, <laughs> so, yes, every week
2: we discuss a, uh, or rather the films we discuss, we we put through a series of highly considered uh, numeric probabilities and algorithms of our own to create uh, a rating that is new for 2019, that of the fog meter. And we rate it on two columns, one of fear, uh, per the title of our podcast, a uh, fear. So how scary a thing is and God or how substantive a thing is. Um, I'll start, uh, with my fear column here. And knowing that I put bird box at a three, I'm going to give Cam like a seven. This is a very discomforting, very kind of upsetting. In some aspects, very scary film.
0: <laughs> yeah i i couldn't I couldn't agree more. I am going to give this on the pure fear measurement. A lot of this is my own personal proclivities. A nine. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah. I'm giving it a nine. Um, I had to watch most of this film, sort of disconnected, Blind, blindfolded. Yeah, kind of. Uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of. Uh, you know uh metaphorically blindfolded kind of you know staying engaged enough to follow the plot of what was happening but disengaged enough so that it was not you know eliciting too much emotion for me i had to watch it guarded as it were so yeah
2: i I think i think that's fair uh what about for uh substance for you
0: for the for the substance i mean i really do feel like this is this is a case where i feel like this film really has something to say and i think it says it well simply because i disagree with what it's saying would not be merit enough for me to detriment my rating of the film for that. So so I'm going to land on the on the sort of substance meter or what we're calling the god meter on a 6 because I feel like it uh it really is uh saying some things very intentionally and deliberately. I just happen to disagree with some of the conclusions I feel that the film is making. See, oh man, I'm going to sound like such a
2: I try I've tried so hard to be kind of not puritanical this conversation. Um but I think I think for me that I'm not sure. I think the scary aspect of it is its strength. Um mm-hmm. I I'm worried that the movie I'm worried that Alice doesn't learn anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. Um yeah, me too. and
2: from that standpoint the substance meter gets reduced because which Oh God! It sounds like I'm saying like, well, if, if she just leave her life of sin, that's that's not really what oh, I'm trying to say. Uh, I'm just trying to say like, like you're saying, she just resets and reboots, and in fact becomes less herself than she even was at the start. Um, yeah. Right. You know. So I think I think in terms of the substance factor, I'm gonna go with a four. Um, and and okay. even saying that, part of me pings like I'm being judgmental, and I don't want to be per se. I just think there's ultimately not a lot of there there it's yeah. a very it's a very interesting slice of human story no, absolutely. Um, that tackles things in a really provocative way but i don't know that it ultimately says a ton
0: yeah no i i understand what you're saying there well that means that on the fog meter for cam we give it six and a half out of ten on the fog meter which is still i, I mean, think that's a,
2: hey that's pretty good yes. for the fog meter
0: <laughs> the, absolutely the fog, fog meter is not kind not yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's really not um, so, uh, so yeah so 6.5 out of 10 uh, for Cam um, but this is you know uh, sort of the addendum to that is do you think you would recommend this film just in general
2: you love to split hairs on the recommendation um, I do I, thi- I think as a scary movie absolutely I think it's mm-hmm. legit unnerving distressing, uh, scary for probably the bulk of our audience and maybe even ourselves in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Not really. It's, it's, it's very difficult to sort of, and maybe if, if in the end of it, she had learned a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know what would have made that, but it is not one. I'm going to be like, Oh God, you gotta go watch it. Yeah.
0: Um, well I'll, yeah, I'll take uh, sort of what you're dancing in and I'll just dive right into the into the deep with it had this film ended with her not going back into it I probably would give a cautionary recommendation to the film as it is that's not how the film ends and because of the ending of the film and because I can't quite grasp whether or not as you put it Alice learns anything yeah I find it very difficult to recommend this film it's exceptionally well made yeah and I, I I have to say that this this has nothing to do with the film craft at work it's exceptionally well made um, impeccably performed um, it's very tightly paced it is it is really a well a very well made film. Um, I just so uh, have such reservations and such disagreements with some of what it leaves us with that i I would find it difficult to recommend this film so it's a it's a no for me on the recommendations. Uh not because the film isn't well made, but because it's just what it has to say.
2: Well on that note, Reed, that is, there it is.
0: installment number five of
2: Netflix and Chills, a a <laughs> a a winding uncomfortable path of conversation. Indeed. For- for two boys brought up in the Southern church.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so true. so true.
0: So next week um, will be very different. Because, I mean,
2: I've got Sandra Bullock screaming in my head, like, don't
0: you look or you will die. <laughs> and I'm I like, know. but
2: it's for the show. And oh, she's like, no, don't look.
0: I have to. I have to. She's like, don't you take off your blindfold. Oh, God. Um, but uh, so next week, in something that is a bit unprecedented for the fear of God, uh, we are actively going to be watching two different movies, And talking about them (laughs) in conversation. Because next week, for our final installment of Hashtag Netflix and Chills, we are actually going to be covering the latest installment of Black Mirror, the film Bandersnatch. We are going to watch it and confer on the pod about what we watched. And as you know, that film is a different experience for everybody. So uh, join us next week and see how that shakes up when we cover Hashtag uh, Netflix and Chills ultimate installment, Black Mirror's Bandersnatch. Nathan, That's thank you lot. so much. That's a lot you just it said. Is, I'm proud of you for lot. getting to it. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it, because I didn't get through it the first time, actually. Hey, <laughs> so, hey, Reed, hey Reed,
2: we can breathe. We're done.
0: Whoo, was, we're done talking about finished. Cam. finished. It's yeah, finished. That's good. Yeah. All right. Guys, thank you so much for uh, listening. Nathan, thank you for having this conversation with me. Thank you you're for welcome, always brother. being willing to have tough conversations with me. I mean, yeah, you're welcome. And, um, and uh, we will. Note, yes, we will see you guys next week. See you guys.
2: The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways on Twitter at the fear of God on Instagram at fear of God podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the fear of God Facebook discussion group. Follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey and Nathan at the Nathan Rouse. Email us at fear of God podcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a
0: review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: Hi, everybody!
0: For our final installment of Hashtag Netflix and Chills For our final installment of Hashtag I guess I couldn't do it. And Don't laugh over top of me so I can do it right.